0: Well, we're back, um, (laughs) welcome to this very special episode of Repros for Iowa. I'm your host, Micah Doolin, my pronouns are they or them. Um, I don't know. I had already recorded an intro and it was like 20 minutes long. (laughs) And I decided to delete it because it felt very. I don't know. It just didn't feel right. Um, given the current climate, um, I could tell in my voice that I was pretending that everything was fine, but you guys it's fucking not, everything is not fucking fine right now. I want to cry. I want to smash things. I want to like burn shit down and like, uh, ah, I, I don't wanna go to work, fuck capitalism. Why do I have to work 40 hours a week? Um, you know, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm burnt out. Um, I am also very truly grateful for, you know, everything that has come together. For the 40 days of reproductive freedom I, you know but i like i'm tired like why this you know it just it shouldn't be a, have to be a thing it shouldn't have to be a it shouldn't have to be a battle um like there's nothing wrong with celebrating reproductive freedom um but i feel like right now a lot of us are very very much focused on, like, what's going to be the fallout of Roe v. Wade no longer being, you know, Roe v. Wade. Um, and it's just, it's a lot. Um, you know, in this intro that I had recorded and decided to not air, I, I keep saying, you know, it's fine, it's fine, I'm fine but I'm not fine. I'm tired. I had a year sober and I fucking relapsed. I went because, because I wasn't able to get my, my medication, um, because I was so fucking stressed out about the shit that's going on. I relapsed like five days after, like, I don't even know how many days after I had my year's sobriety. Um, I was withdrawing from my medication and I was like, I can't do it. I need a drink. You know, I, I, I'm sober now. I'm going to set the clock back at zero or whatever. You know, I'm not even going to count days anymore because, you know, fuck it. I don't need to count days. But like, this shit is hard guys. This shit is, it's terrifying. Um, and it's putting a lot of stress on people. And like, I love organizing and I love, I love this work, but like, it's gotten to a point where like, I've been putting my mental health aside and I've been putting a lot of other things aside that I should not be putting aside, like going to get my effects that has really bad withdrawal symptoms. Um, I, you know, you know, me, I just be like, oh, it's fine, but it's not fine. And you know, that's my fault. I should have better boundaries. Um, but you know who needs better boundaries than me is the fucking people telling us that we don't have a right to an abortion. Like, uh, I just, I can't imagine, I just, I, I, I can't imagine like what this is, what's going on with in these states where like there's com- almost completely like near bans or full bans of abortion like in Missouri it's like completely illegal my cousin lives in Missouri she's texted me all the stuff that's happened in Missouri and i'm just sitting here like what the fuck should i do to help missourians like i don't know and then today at the coffee chat um at at our park for one of our events you know a a person was telling me about you know her endometriosis and how if she gets pregnant she can fucking die or like if she gets an abortion are they going to deport her because she has dual citizenship like i almost lost it i almost started Falling right then and there like I'm tired of hearing these fucking stories And then another person at that same coffee chat said about how her daughter her 25 year old daughter has cancer And she wants to be pregnant, but she can't be pregnant because of the chemotherapy And if she has an abortion is she gonna get like prosecuted or like what what the fuck's up with this like? (laughs) This shit's not okay. I am frustrated I'm tired and I'm not gonna put out some fake ass intro pretending that everything is fucking fine when it's not. Excuse my language. My cats are licking me like I'm an insane person right now. <laughs> you know, I feel like I am going crazy. I like, I put my heart and my soul into all of these events and stuff. And I, and I love doing it. And I love the community that I've built. I've met so many awesome people, but it's just like, we shouldn't, you know, this should be protected. This shouldn't. I don't, I I hope you get what I'm trying to say. Like, I love this and I love learning about it. But like, God damn it. Like, God damn it, guys. I hope you are all taking care of yourselves and your mental health. And I hope you are finding time to go laugh and do things that bring you joy and, you know, meaning. And I hope that you're, like, hanging out with loved ones as much as you possibly can and, like, petting your fur balls and, like, doing all that stuff and, like, cherishing those moments because shit's hitting the fan. And that's just not here in the United States. It's world-wide. There's a lot of scary stuff going on right now. Um, and it's just, it's a lot, um, you know, I, I didn't get out of bed for four days. Um, and that was like a couple of weeks ago, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. It was the week before I moved and, you know, I, it, I, It was because I was completely depressed and burnt out. Um, You know, I've, I just, I was so exhausted, so, so tired that I just, I, I literally could do nothing but sleep for four days. Um, And I used up all of my PTO and, and then I moved and my boss was like, hey, you know, generally we don't give you, people unpaid time off um without disciplinary action and I like you know I really like my boss my boss is really awesome he's done right by me a lot of you know he's done a lot of good things um as far as also helping me with like my work release like when I was doing my jail time for my DUI and everything um but I honestly I just wanted to like you know, he only, like, I only see him or exchange emails with him because I work overnights and he works days. I really just wanted to like say something like, you know, I'm so sorry that I have fucking got burnt out that I was not able to get out of bed. Like, what the fuck do you want me to do? Like, maybe company should be Factoring in like mental fucking health days instead of just PTO or something like I'm sorry I did not see this coming from a mile away Like we all knew Roe and versus Wave was gonna fall but like You know like It's just and that's that's nothing on him. I'm just I'm speaking to the stupid fucking capitalist system that we live in where it's like, I have to record all of my fucking hours or I get penalized because I can't get out of bed for four days. Like, what the fuck is that? Like, (laughs) I'm not going to apologize for that. And I I, I can't promise to be do better. Like, you know, I I can't promise to be like, oh, I'm never going to get burnt out again. Oh, I'm never going to get depressed again. Like. Because that's just not going to happen. Like, I have mental illness. Like, I'm diagnosed. Like, I can't just be like, oh, I'll just schedule my next breakdown for four months from now when I have enough PTO built up. Like, <laughs> and, you know, it, it is what it is. I love my work. IDT is a good company. They just put out the, you know, they're going to cover travel expenses for people needing to go out of state you're gonna pay up to $4,000. But you know, I what, the thing that I didn't see about that is like, where's that gonna come from? Is it gonna come out of PTO? Because if people are having to use up, they don't have their PTO build up to go, uh, you know, take five days off to go to California to get a fucking abortion. What, are they gonna get penalized for that? Like, or is that gonna be like FMLA? Like, what? You know, I might have to take FMLA because I might go psycho. Like, I feel like I already am going psycho. And I love him dearly, but Tyler needs to get the fuck out of my case. When he says things like, you just gotta look for the silver linings. (laughs) Like, stop. I'm tired and I'm angry I'm just people keep asking me what are we supposed to do what am I supposed to do how do I get involved I mean I gave you 40 fucking days (laughs) you know um there's I don't know. I don't know what the best answer to that is. I don't know what to do to get involved. You got to find, you know, uh, there was a woman today that said she had a psych degree. I'm like, how about you counsel people? Because there's a lot of people that probably need counseling right now. And how about you do it for free? I really just wanted to say that. Um, Probably not like that. But you know, like, I feel like people are going to need that kind of support. And like, you have your doctors in psychology or social work or whatnot you why don't you just do that instead of being like you know what I mean like because people are gonna need like mental health resources um maybe I have her contact information maybe I should you know talk with her about setting up like support groups for like these time you know these crazy times. These crazy times. Um, You know, maybe like support groups. Um, I don't know what the best way to get involved right now is. I mean, abortion is still technically legal in Iowa. Is it accessible? No. (laughs) I mean, is it? Yeah, I mean, there's a 24 hour waiting period. Um, I'm holding my cat, which is awesome. Um jack's pro 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 abortion he just wanted to get up here and say that um that's why he's sitting in my lap um but I don't know what the best thing to do is. <sighs> you know, I have a lot of ideas of other ways I want to bring, like, reproductive justice work to the community and not just focus on abortion. Um, I know abortion has kind of taken over our lives right now. Um, and I hope to get, ouch, sorry, I just hit my arm. (laughs) But I, like, I, I lost my train of thought. I, I have a lot of ideas, um, abortion is kind of taking over our lives right now and for a good reason. Um, But like, I think since there's probably gonna be a lot of, you know, people having to carry pregnancies to term, um, instead of just also offering abortion support, we should also be offering other types of community support, um, which is something that I'm gonna have to, to come some stuff, I'm, excuse me, I'm going to have to, we're, not just me, we, everybody, each and every every single one of you is going to have to, like, start coming up with ways of how can we help the person that had an unplanned pregnancy and had to carry it to term, you know, like, can I go get them formula, can I get them diapers, can I off, offer to help them watch their kid, or, like, maybe give them some money, or, you know, something like that, um i i think that's where our what we're gonna have to start seeing um instead of just being like oh we're just gonna have to provide abortion pills like on the side <laughs> you know what i mean um because as much as i love like for everybody to have access to abortion i just don't and that's never always been possible or that, that's not always been possible um and i that's part of the, the reproductive justice work is to um, you know make sure that you're also supportive in other ways and not just for abortion. Um, but that yeah, that's me. That's my, my take on it. Um, also by the way, um, I, I noticed that like I've been saying like the reproductive justice movement like started in the 60s and 70s really the, the term and the, the whole movement like was framed and coined like in 1994, but I say the sixties and seventies because that's like when the white feminist movement was kind of starting to push for like all of these things um, for like abortion rights specifically and just birth control. Um, and so then the women of color kind of started to focus on these other things Um, But yes, that is correct that it wasn't coined until 1994, but I just wanted to explain myself um, for why I said that. Um, I've said that before a few times, Um, but yeah, I just wanted to clarify, (laughs) you know, people have been fighting for their right to bodily autonomy and safe and healthy environments and all sorts of stuff for a very long time. I don't know. I'm my my therapist is worried about me. I'm worried about me. Um, but I got to go see the Iowa Abortion Access Fund um, comedy show last night, and it was great. It was refreshing. I feel so much better today. Um, I really do. I I feel good. I dyed my hair I got a t-shirt made, I've got my car cleaned up for my trip to Des Moines tomorrow for the Planned Parenthood rally. And um, I've got to work on a PowerPoint presentation for teenagers about reproductive justice. Uh, so that's fun. I, I like making PowerPoint presentations. I haven't done one in so long, it's gonna be great. Uh, I just hope they don't think I'm an idiot because I feel like I'm an idiot sometimes just kind of wading through all of this. Like, Um, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. Um, I really don't. And it's weird because people are always like, thank you for doing this. I'm just like, I didn't do anything. I just, I I just have ideas. And then I tell people about them and then other people get on board. (laughs) And I don't know. Am I a leader? I don't think I'm a leader. Maybe I am. I don't know. I just, you know, the whole reason why I started this is because, like, I I had the opportunity to get involved with Planned Parenthood and share my abortion story. And that's what I thought all I was going to do was be like, okay, I'll just share my abortion story once or twice and be done with it. Um, needless to say, it's been almost like two years now, um, maybe less than that. Um, but I, it's it's interesting. I didn't think that this many people would be like coming to me for all sorts of stuff and like looking to me for these things. Um, I definitely don't give myself enough credit. Um, that's a that's a therapist thing. I'm sorry. I don't need to to talk about that here. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I just want, I just want people to be safe. I, I just want people to have the same access to care that I was able to have and better. I want it to be better. Um, because like even my abortions were expensive. I'm pretty sure like I haven't fully paid them off and I know that that's bad but you know for the first 30 years of my my life I made under 26 25,000 a year so um yeah it was a little hard to pay for them. um but I want it I want it to be better I want things to be better my cat's looking at me like I want you to feed me, and then things will be better. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you, seriously, if there's anything that you need or want to talk about, or anything with me, please just let me know. I'll, I'll fucking give you my number. I'll respond. I mean... We need a lot of support during these times, and I'm not very good about reaching out to people to like lean on. <laughs> um, but, and if you have like ideas of like things that we can do as a community, please let me know because I think that would be that would be just amazing. Um, I want to do all the ideas. There are no bad ideas. Um, except for when my cat tries to walk across the keyboard. That's a bad idea, cat. But that's it. Um, so my interview is a super special interview. I got to meet these two amazing women, um, within the last couple of months. Um, and I've organized with them so far and yeah it's um, Lena Maria and Natalie Fixmore orise but yeah, I got got to meet them and they're awesome. They're both they both work at the University of Iowa and they teach in the, the gender studies department and other other sorts of things um, and they're so smart and I could listen to them talk forever i i want to just like go to the you just so i can be like i'm gonna take all of your classes um and learn so much from you um actually i would love that i think that'd be awesome um But yeah, I am happy that they decided to do this episode with me. We were going to do it the day that the row decision came out. Um, We had planned on it, but we weren't quite sure if the row decision was going to happen, but then it happened and then we had a rally. uh, So we didn't do it. Um, But we've got to do it. We've gotten to do it this week. Um, and yeah, it's a longer interview, uh, but that's okay. Um, I'm not going to cut any of it out because I think it's all very important what they have to say. Um, they've also recently written an article for, is it the Des Moines Register? I think it's the Des Moines Register. Um, I will put a link in the show notes for that. Uh, uh mostly talks about um, how Kim Rild sucks and how, you know, these, the fall of Roe v. Wade is really going to affect um,
1: immigrants
0: and BIPOC communities and all sorts of, you know, marginalized groups. And yeah, that's, that's what the article is about. Um, they have written, uh, Natalie's written a couple of books that I did, or did not know, but I'm, I'm, yeah, it's working on a book, and I'm going to have to read them once they come out. Um, but yeah, uh, they're great. I, As you can tell, I am, like, fan-personing over them because I think that they're amazing people. Um, and I want to be them when I grow up. Honestly, I want to be everybody who comes on my show. I just, like, I just want to be you. You're so cool. Um, but yeah, that, that's it. That's all I had to say. Sorry this intro was so long, but you know, I just, I had stuff that I needed to say and, um, yeah, that, this was my take two for that. So that's, that's how it goes. That's, that's how it rolls. Um, I hope, your weekend goes well. I hope you can find something relaxing to do. Maybe go buy a nice Yankee candle and sniff it or something. Some like get some essential oils or take a bath or go for a nice walk or eat some like good food. Like I'm craving lasagna, so I might have to get some lasagna. Um Fun fact, lasagna is one of my favorite foods. Um, I don't know why. I just love it. Um, I need to to make a vegan lasagna. Um, uh, Yeah, comfort food, man. Go get some. Anyways, here's the interview. Okay. Well, Thank you for being here today. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I'm sorry that last time um, things happened, (laughs) Um, but yeah. Uh, If you guys wanna go ahead and introduce yourselves and your pronouns and yeah, tell us who you are.
1: Do you wanna go first? Okay. Um, well, thanks for having us, Micah. I'm really excited to be here. And my name is Natalie fixmer O'Reise. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm an associate professor at the University of Iowa. I'm appointed in communication studies and gender, women's, and sexuality studies. And my work as a communication scholar is focused on the recent history of reproductive politics in the United States and specifically thinking about those politics in the Homeland Security state. Um, I'm also working on a book about queer family formation right now, which is very joyful.
2: Awesome. Thank you, uh, Micah, for having us on. My name is Lina Maria Murillo. Uh, My pronouns are she her, ella, and I am a historian. I teach at the University of Iowa. Um, I'm fortunate to teach alongside Natalie, and I am in Gender, Women, and Sexuality Studies history and Latina, Latino, Latina studies as well. And currently, my, my, my first book is on the history of um, women's reproductive health and activism, and it's sort of intersections with um, population control movements um, in the US Mexico borderlands in the 20th century. And then I'm also working on a book on abortion in the US Mexico borderlands and and also the rise, the sort of third project is um, looking at the rise of, um, you know, white ethno-Christian nationalism and fears over um, what they've called white genocide or or um, what was coined in the 1970s as the birth dearth of white um, babies and how this overlaps with the sort of current issue that we're having right now with access to abortion and reproductive care and um, also (laughs) like sexual assault and violence and trans care and and all of those sort of things um, that center bodily autonomy
0: amazing I'm gonna have to get your guys books when they come out (laughs) so I can read years in the Um, making years in the making (laughs) yes well either way let me know I will push them on everybody I know have them (laughs) read it go and buy your books um so yeah how did both of you get into doing what you do if that's not too like loaded of a question (laughs) no I think,
2: I mean, I, I'll just say I was really lucky um, that, you know, I was, I was searching for a topic. I, I got my PhD at the University of Texas at El Paso. So right on the US-Mexico border. And I was interested originally in studying um, the femicides in Juarez. So um, Juarez is the sister city to El Paso, Texas. And, and starting in the 1990s, um, there was this sort of rise—I mean, a pretty precipitous rise in um, in violence against women, um, and specifically connected to like sweatshops and the, the 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 increase in the creation of sweatshops in the border region. Um, and so when I got to El Paso in 2008, I was like, I'm really interested in studying this, and people are like. Girl, it's too soon. They were like, this stuff is still happening. Like, you can't. It's too dangerous. One, and then like shortly after, there was like this huge narco war that erupted in in Mexico and especially in the border region. It was really violent. Um, and they were like, that's not. It's not going to work. And so I was like, well, I really want. I came here to study the history of of women. That was my my interest. Um, and then Planned Parenthood shut down in El Paso. Um, for Numerous reasons, and this was really before kind of formal attacks on the organization had started um, in Texas, and they donated all of their um, their papers, and so somebody over the years had kind of saved a lot of their stuff. So the organization in El Paso started in 1937, and so they had just boxes and boxes and boxes of. Of all of this stuff, from advertising to like, you know, um, not not necessarily patient information um, that that was private, but um but a lot of other kind of really interesting information about what that organization was doing in El Paso, and it was really kind of focused on, and this is the crux of my work, was, you know trying to control the Mexican population in the region. Um, El Paso had envisioned itself as this like white city right on the US Mexico border as almost like this sort of protective shield from what they consider to be this onslaught of of non-white peoples but at the same time they you know wealthy El Pasoans who are mostly Anglo who are mostly white relied on what they wrote about and said often was like the cheap labor that Mexicans offered them right and so you know I could see this through the work of Planned Parenthood um, that they were like we need these people because they are our um, nannies there are they do all of our domestic labor it's still to this very day that's a big thing to have a maid in El Paso Um, oftentimes they're uh, Mexican origin women right and How do we, how do we couple the need for their labor and also the need to like control their population Um, and so that that those tensions really interested me and then through that I had done organizing work in other in other spaces, but the, the idea of bodily sovereignty to me became really paramount, not just in my work, but also in just the way I think about my existence on this planet and how I want to collaborate and coordinate with other people that the work that I'm doing is really one sort of focused on. um, You know, bodily autonomy and justice right like how do I, how do I think about that in my work and how do I then help like create that in my community.
1: What Lena said about bodily autonomy really resonates for me deeply because I, I really see reproductive justice um, and the, the the ownership or the sovereignty that one has over your ability to control when and whether and with whom you create a family as this cornerstone of um, being able to come to the table as a participant in a democracy. It seems like such a fundamental thing to me. Um, and that for for whatever reason, that seems to be the thing that has animated my scholarship and my activism for my entire adult life. When I was in my early 20s, um, I was working for Planned Parenthood down in North Carolina. And I was a community organizer um, for the affiliate down there. And I was working on the March for Women's Lives, which was um, in DC in 2004. At the time, it was the the largest march in US history. Uh, We counted 1.15 million people. And so prior to the march in 2017, right on the heels of Trump's inauguration. Prior to that moment, it it was the largest march in history. And we worked really hard as a broad coalition of organizations to bring as many people as we could to DC um, on that day in April. And this was kind of um, prior to, you know, a few months out from the 2004 election, um, where we were really hoping to to, um, elect elect a different president that didn't happen but we were seeing assaults during the Bush administration on reproductive health and rights and dignity at every corner at every turn and so um, I was organizing for the March uh, statewide and then I was doing a lot of local organizing on, on campuses and in communities to um, to try and push forward uh, some progressive um, legislation around access to EC in the ER, for example, for survivors of assault and um, various campaigns like that. We worked really hard to get EC over the counter and it's it's you know that took years. Uh, so when I but when I was doing that organizing and I felt deeply passionate about it, um, I had studied communication, as I had gotten a master's degree in communication. And and one of the things that I felt as an organizer, in addition to deep burnout, was that we were always playing defense and it was very hard to think um, big picture and strategically about how we were aligning with other organizations and doing this kind of work in a way that not only um, felt um, resonant and responsive to the moment that we were facing, but that also accounted for the, the histories of racism and classism and the ways that reproduction itself has been shaped in, invariably by those forces in the United States and in the, in the differential, like the uneven access to care and the uneven surveillance and policing of pregnancy and reproduction and control, like Lena was talking about, over reproduction. And so I, um, as a, as a, as a person who'd studied communication, I was like, how do, we, how, do we use, um, how do we creatively use language in ways that can address some of these harms and account for some of these harms? And how can we um, better imagine different ways of narrating motherhood um, and different ways of narrating um, parenting and family and justice? And so that really drove me back to um, my PhD. And, um, I wrote a dissertation of, about, the, you know, that would eventually become my first book, which is out. It came out a couple, um, a couple of years ago. I'm happy to tell you about it, but, um, anyway, I, so, so that, um, that drove me to come back to teaching and to, to research and, um, and it, it is the, it's the through line reproductive justice is the, the through line of the work that I've done for years.
0: awesome and yes I will have to get the name of that so I can put it on my to to read list I'm sorry about that by the way Um, no 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 (laughs) uh, but yeah that's amazing thank you for sharing those stories I like to yeah I I need to start asking more people about like how they get into like this sort of like line of work and like what it means to them I think that's really important uh so thank you for sharing that um so yeah I don't I don't know I guess let's dive right into it um you guys run the University of Iowa Reproductive Justice Working Group um do you want to tell me a little bit about that
1: uh so we yeah we have this this (laughs) The Working Group is one of the great joys of my professional life. And it's been a real space, especially in the last few years and especially in this moment um, where we're we're, we're trying to build interdisciplinary, um, public facing uh, work, like or, or coalition around reproductive care and justice. And so I'm trying to remember, Lena, did we start it in 2019? Is that right? I think so. I
2: just remember, I'm trying to remember, because I had just gotten here. I got, I, I started um, at the university in 2018 and I, yeah. I feel like Natalie and I became good friends, like right at the jump. And Natalie was like, Hey, I want to put this working group together. I want to put this working group together. And, um, and I'm just going to put your name on it. Okay. And I was like, okay. Um, so I do think it like was approved in 2018. And then I think we started in the fall of 2019. Cause I do remember basically we met for one. Like we met in person yeah, for like one semester basically, or like a semester and a half and then, and then COVID hit. And then it was, you know, whatever, everything got shut down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with, I agree with Natalie that, here, I'll, I'll say this, I'll, you know, I, I think, um, we're, you know, we're in a safe space, we can say this. Academia can be really cutthroat and weird. Um, it's not, it's not always, it's not built, especially in some in some fields, it's not built to like really produce camaraderie and like we're doing something together, let's, it's a lot of antagonism. Um, and so I'll say this about Natalie, like it was, it was shocking and beautiful and like completely, um, unexpected to get like that level of excitement and enthusiasm from somebody who does very similar work as I do to be like, I'm so glad you're here. We're about to do some stuff. And I was like, okay, like, let's, let's do things. Um, so being able to create this space Um, where it's not just about producing scholarship, but it's about mobilizing that scholarship to do more that I think it's been like finding a a kindred spirit with um, my work with Natalie, like it's just, and it's like it just at the right time, right? Like it's just happening at like the exact point at which it needs to happen, right? Well, we need that kind of collaboration and solidarity. And so I think one of the things that I found that's like not specifically about um, sort of reproductive justice, but maybe it is (laughs) um, in our working group is that we're modeling, I think, for other colleagues um, in other departments, because this group is so big, it's like really wide reaching, right? Like it's not just humanities folks. Because a lot of oftentimes these groups are kind of more focused on like humanities fields. Like this is we we're, we talking to people in public health, talk to people in the medical school, t- you know, like in the in the college of law, right? Like they're from all over the place, and they're just like, oh, this is so different. Like just their experience, and then they're like, oh, like the way that you guys are interacting with each other, and and also we have like undergrad undergraduate students, graduate students. It's a hodgepodge of all of the people that are down for this, right, as well as local activists and and local leaders, right, that I think that there's something, I mean, I guess that is fundamentally very much about reproductive justice, but it's like modeling this new, or maybe not new, definitely something that, you know, feminist folks were trying to do in certain circles in the 1960s and 70s. But to have this like, you know, um, this group of folks who are coming at at an issue from all different walks of life and from all different stages in career and life paths. And it's just been so it it has been for me like revolutionary to be in this space. Um, And I just thank Natalie for being like, let me slap your name on this uh, in 2018.
1: (laughs) I, 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 people on the podcast can't, can't see this, but I've been hearting what Lena says because it, so it just, it is exactly how I feel. You know, when Lena got to campus in 2018, I, I joined the faculty in 2012 and uh, was just, I, I, I feel so fortunate to have some really phenomenal colleagues. Um, and when Lena showed up, I was like, oh my gosh, someone else who does work like this and maybe we can maybe we can build some things here you know and and so the working group has been has been that and I you know in addition to pulling from like we've got midwives and so we've got practitioners and we've got community activists and so we we come together and we meet monthly during the academic year and we just talk about Um, we sometimes, usually we assign a reading, and then we talk about um, the reading, and then that conversation tends to spill over into what's going on in our communities, how can we show up to support one another, what are the, you know, what are the midwives facing, what are they seeing in their practice that tells us something about the struggle for reproductive justice in Iowa, right, or just as an example, and how can we, who do we know, it's like a network of people who Uh, are very well networked and so they can draw on the resources and expertise that they have and we're also mentoring students along the way because our students show up they have research agendas of their own the graduate students do the undergrads are trying to figure out like what kind of research what kind of career do I want I know I care about reproductive justice how what would that what could that look like and in this they have a model of like various kinds of career paths trajectories just modes of being in the world maybe it doesn't have to be a career path uh since this is a podcast I imagine it can be edited Lena can I talk about our idea or do you think it's too infantile
2: (laughs) no I mean like like the idea I think that is is because the idea is still in in a in a small state and we're gonna bring it into a bigger thing yeah sure I mean yeah
1: we, we want to do from this working group, given the moment that we're living in, um, Lena went to an event at the labor center, which really helped to crystallize, um, this, uh, what we might be able to do in terms of building some infrastructure for reproductive justice right here in Iowa, <laughs> where we live. <laughs> um, and, so we, we, based on the brilliant model of the labor center, we would like to do a center for reproductive justice. Now we probably can't call it that because that's mired in a kind of political landscape that we don't have to take up right in this moment, but um, the idea would be to house a, a place that could house various resources and curricula things like we want to establish some tracks for both undergrads and grads that would be multidisciplinary um that could train folks going into public health or nursing or uh going into public policy or advocacy or media communications um, that would allow them to understand like the history of this struggle and this movement and um, we would want to establish some continuing education programs for um, social workers, for nurses, uh, to and other in other fields to get some credit in their profession for you know attending some workshops that would be about reproductive justice issues. We envision a legal clinic because when you um, criminalize abortion, you criminalize pregnancy loss, and that is a very tricky terrain to be in for anyone who is, um, for anyone who's pregnant, whether you want to be or not, right? Like that's, that is legally dangerous. And what we've seen already, this is pre Dobbs decision, right? So this is when ostensibly abortion was recognized as a constitutional, right? We were seeing the criminalization of pregnancy loss and the punishing of, um, Mostly women of color, many immigrant women of color who were um, being prosecuted by the state for for miscarriage, basically lots of examples of that. So we want to set up a legal clinic. We want some infrastructure around how to get people help when they need to, when they need it, and um, uh, also some kind of and we would want to draw Micah on our community of um, fearless organizers and leaders for this but like do some like leadership training right and advocacy training and activist training so we don't we don't envision lena and i running all of these things we're just trying to figure out how to put people how to bring people together around this issue and how to build power that's long term in iowa
2: and i think to that part of like part of where this idea came from was um in the (laughs) I don't know if it was like to cope with the depths of depression for the pandemic, but um, Natalie was um, got an offer to write a chapter in a book called um, "Maternal Theory and Politics," and maybe I'm getting the title of that book wrong. Um, but it's a it's a whopper of a book. It's like a <laughs> I don't want to compare it to the Bible, but it's a it's a thick. Um, And so they were running a new edition and they wanted to, um, they asked Natalie to to write an article and I was like, I think we should write it together. Let's do something. And I said, well, I think, you know, my my interest is um, definitely in the US-Mexico border region, but, you know, as I live and um, sort of take root in the Midwest, I'm really fascinated by um, the idea that, you know, the Midwest is this sort of heartland area. This is where like the root of all American values sort of stem from this place. And by that, I mean sort of white, uh, white values um, and, and we, can, we can unpack that further um, if, you, if you like. Um, but essentially like it's a it's sort of like white Anglo-Saxon Protestant vision of what the United States is supposed to be and look like. Um, well, that's not the actual reality of what living in the Midwest is like um, you know I'm, I'm originally from California uh, lived for a long time in Texas, and so I was like what the heck is going on in the Midwest right like. People on the coastal states certainly have lots of feelings about what goes on in the south and the Midwest um, and then, when I moved here. I was like okay they're absolutely wrong it's actually much more complicated landscape, one, there's a lot more people of color <laughs> that live here that we're that, and we're not allowed to imagine them here, right? Um, and a lot of this also comes from talks that I've had with another colleague who's in the history department, Ashley Howard, who's writing a book about, um, about revolts and, and rebellions um, in, in the black community in the Midwest. She's studying various cities. Um, her book should be out in the next year or so, um, and so she's really thinking about, you know, how is it that all of these rebellions, right? And so if we think about Black Lives Matter, and we think about like, you know, George Floyd in Minneapolis, if we think, right? If we think about um, Saint Louis with Michael Brown, right? Like if we think about these places, they're like anomalies, and they're like. You know there's like an incision made around them and they're they're not in the Midwest They're some they're in some other place but that's not the Midwest. Well, no, it is the Midwest right like you know those those are cities in the Midwest. Um, And what I found in a place like Iowa um, is that its demographics are are changing. even though it, it still continues to be um, an overwhelmingly white state, right, something like 85% of its population is white. Um, it's increasingly um, gaining, especially in in uh, the Latinx community. And these are Latinx people from all over um, Latin America, and also internal folks. So like myself, right, as a Latina I'm coming from California, moving to Iowa. And so there's no mechanism to think about these communities in a place like iowa um, in a in a thoughtful complicated way and so what ends up happening is that um, legislators um, become reactionary to this changing demographic Um, and so the laws that are proposed and policies that are put forth um are in fact attacks against these communities right but but as 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 an intellectual as a as a thinker as a scholar there's no framework. to like well what's going on how do we what you know and so i i wanted to since we were in lockdown with natalie to say like let's think about iowa let's think about what's going on um, in communities of color um, let's think about what's going on in rural communities that are gaining, um, you know, people of color in their population. What does it mean to grow up black or Latinx in some very rural parts of Iowa? What does it mean to grow up queer in some really rural parts of Iowa? Um, what does it mean uh, to be incarcerated in Iowa? And how are these things connected to reproductive justice, reproductive access to care? Um, Healthcare overall right like what those kinds of questions sort of animated this this little chapter that's like 10 pages long um we interviewed um some of our colleagues who are in our, our group and we just sort of were like this is you know this is a start of an idea um and we'd like to see it you know we'd like to expand it and so this is where the center Um, or possibility of a center is coming from, right? It's like, how how do we make visible the communities in the Midwest, right? So hopefully this will become more of a regional conversation, right? So starting with Iowa, but certainly, you know, we got folks working on stuff in Nebraska, we got folks working on stuff in Illinois, you know, people in Minnesota and Wisconsin who are interested in these things, right? So like, how do we think about like, these quote unquote invisible communities that are doing the actual like backbreaking labor work to keep these states alive, right? So many of these rural counties that we're talking about only continue to exist and thrive because they're getting an influx of migrants going to work in the meatpacking industry, for instance, right? So like at the same time, that these communities need these folks, right? They need their they need their tax dollars because even if they might be undocumented, they're still paying taxes, right? Um, and they need their labor because they need these corporations to stay there um, to create some sort of infrastructure for them. And the only way those corporations are going to stay there is if they have undocumented people or or low income folks who who you know are, are essentially exploitable labor for these corporations right so I, you know I'm, I'm kind of getting in the weeds here but basically what i'm saying is that there, there there's a history um that's being created right now right about how this region of the united states is changing while at the same time there are folks um in in these areas that do not want those demographics to change that white supremacist vision of the midwest as 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 you know as the heartland and so those are the kinds of questions for us that were animating um, how people get access to reproductive care because fundamentally denying people access to reproductive care um is is a is a type of violence and the state wanting to um, support that level of violence, right? There's a there's a political reasoning for it, and so our our interest is well, well, what is it? You know, let's unpack that. Let's talk about this. And there are folks, you know, on on all all these different sort of, um, in all these different spaces and disciplines who are thinking through um, some of those questions, and hopefully we can bring them together so we can we can think together. Um, about how how to, you know, possibly produce different policies and laws um, that protect um, folks from that kind of violence.
0: That's a lot to unpack. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's okay. That center sounds amazing. Um, yeah, I would love to to go and take some classes.
1: It's we would just, need your help sorry, to run them too.
0: Happened in the background, uh, it's, but that's just amazing. a dream. It's, it's a just idea. a dream now, Mike. Oh, <laughs> we're we're feeding
1: the dream. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen.
0: I'll do fundraisers for you. <laughs> um, I think that's amazing. Um, and then I was thinking, like, so you wrote. This probably would segue into my next section. Or well, do I want to backtrack? I don't know. I can edit this later. (laughs) Um, because you're you're, you know, you're talking about how all these policies are making it uh, you know, it's violence against people. It's it's playing into this ideal of like white supremacy and um, you know, they're trying to keep Iowa, you know, white if they can't. Like, I don't know if they can do that, but like. Um, why are, what's the million dollar question? Why are they doing this? Why are they targeting marginalized communities? Why are they targeting poor people? And like, why, this is even a more loaded question. Like, why do they hate them so much? <laughs> Sorry, that was a loaded question. <laughs> No, it doesn't um, have to be a complete answer. Yeah. <laughs> that was just like that was supposed to be a question about. I was just like writing stuff down um, about the article, but now that you bring it up, um, uh, it's my just, fault. I brought, I brought, like, it like.
2: I think you know. I think fundamentally, and this is something that um I think, and Natalie and I have been talking about this a lot um recently because. You know, and and here we can get into um, talking about the anti-abortion movement and its history um, and its increasing connections to white supremacy and white nationalist ideology um, and goals. Um, even though they some of the folks in the anti abortion movement will say like we have nothing to do with those people, but there's overlapping aims and goals and so yeah there's like there's certainly some connections, Um, and and there are actually folks who work in both of areas right. Um, and so yeah it's a loaded question because it's a complicated one, and I don't want to um, boil down. what they're doing um, in, in simplistic terms, because it's 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 actually quite complicated. And, you know, I've spent my last whatever of my life, maybe too long um, mired in and sort of marinating in some of these ideas and they come from all over the place, right? So oftentimes they are religious in nature um, and other times, they say that they're not but they but they seek to kind of affirm you know christian extreme christian visions of um of of, of patriarchy um and so this sort of very hierarchical vision that men are at the very top and when the, when i say men they what they mean is biological male you know you know assigned male at birth and like they are they cling to, to that, right? Um, and and everyone else is below, and uh, and the, the, that hierarchy also, if it, if they if that person can be white or or white leaning and insisting on a connection to whiteness, they'll take it, right? Because if we look at some of these white nationalist groups, um, some of the leadership is not white. Right, um, like the Proud Boys, right? The, uh, the that guy is uh, Tario. He's he's Cuban, and and um, it looks like he's Afro. I mean, from his pictures and his phenotype, he's likely Afro-Cuban, right? So, so the idea of race is co- like the, it, it, they're complicated people. This is a complicated mishmash of groups. Um, but one of the things that I've been really thinking about and listening to um their words i find you know listening to them speak and give give interviews and stuff really fascinating um is that uh you know when they do invoke religion which is often um it becomes difficult to argue with them because they're not being they're not being reasonable or rational they're they're using religion right they're like jesus says or my the bible says and um they will make that they will interpret that in any way that they see fit to um, advance this vision of a world that is ordered in the way that i stated earlier right that there's it's a patriarchal order and that patriarchal order um is the order that will bring them to them in their mind closer to god right um and is, is is working under sort of this god's rubric for how we exist on this planet um and so it becomes really hard to negotiate and talk and you know, how do you argue? I've 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 had students in my class, I'm like, how do I argue with Jesus? Like when you bring like how like how do I because I can cite and I can tell you about my humanity, right? Like I can cite all the research and then also try to explain my humanity to you, and that as a human being, my my feelings and my experiences and my body should be respected. But if fundamentally, there is a hierarchy and I am and I am never anywhere near the top of that hierarchy. Um, then, then we're, we're not arguing or having a discussion. Um, right, you're just enforcing this worldview on on me because you see it as your essentially your God given right to do so. Um, and so I think the idea is like why do they. You know why do they hate us, or why do they hate bodily autonomy? they, you know, I think um, for them it's deeply rooted in this sort of Christian vision of of their you know Christian worldview, um, and they and they don't fundamentally see it as hate
1: um, at all. Um. I agree, and I think I, I'll add a couple of things, which is um, one of the th- side note, one of the things I hope to do at our center is to to build like some interfaith clergy council kinds of things, like some faith, like some repro justice faith leadership. I'm not that person, um, but there are people in our community who are, and I, I want them present and visible and vocal. So, um, I heard a fascinating interview with some like faith leaders from different kind of walks of life. Like um, there was a, um, I don't know if she was a rabbi or like a scholar of Judaism, but, but someone kind of speaking about um, uh, Jewish traditions and thoughts, and then also someone talk, talking about Islam and, and the relationship of those two religions to abortion. And this was on um, NPR On Point, I think it was, the specific show. And, um, you know, it, they talked about how overturning Roe is actually a violation of the First Amendment for various religions, including Jude- in, including Judaism in certain um, J- Jewish communities and as well as Islam, because they were saying that um, you know, faith teachings about abortion differ widely, right? And um, this is true within Christianity as well, and that there are certain conditions the rabbi or the Jewish scholar was talking about, like there are there are conditions under which I, within my faith, would absolutely, counsel people to have an abortion, that that would be my moral duty. And so any kind of criminalization of abortion is actually a criminalization of me practicing my religion and is an infringement on religious freedom in the United States. And so we need to be having that conversation. I think the other thing, um, in terms of why it's such such a big question, I I think the other thing that Lena and I have been talking about um, recently, too, is that, uh, you know, um, historically, since the founding of the US Republic, motherhood, and I say that with like, very intentionally, like cisgender white women, and their producing of specifically white sons who were imagined at the the founding of the US Republic to inherit this nation, Motherhood is imagined as this vehicle for the nation and the policing of especially um, the motherhood of people of color, um, immigrant communities, um, poor, poor people um, policing their capacity to create families, destroying Dorothy Roberts is a legal scholar of reproductive justice. She just came out with this fantastic book called Torn Apart, which is about um, thinking about foster care um, as and the at, she wants to think about foster care and the destruction of Black families in the United States as having this very long history and about um, and we need to understand family policing as a critical dimension of abolitionist work right in the here and now in the in the 21st century. Um, but I digress. I, I guess what I'm saying is that um, part of the why for me is about how, is about anxieties over who is in power, right? And so if you think about this nation and, and who has historically been seated at the center of power, right? Uh, cisgender, white, wealthy, land-owning men, um, y- y- you... It, you know, control over who is reproducing, under what conditions, to, to what ends, all of that is, is, is critical, right? Because actually, when you think about the numbers, they, they don't, they don't um, exceed the rest of us, right? But they hold disproportionate amounts of power when you look at Congress, um, when you look at this Supreme Court, um, when you look across the real seats of power. Um, and and being able to, you know, Steve King said it a few years ago, right? Like about, you know, I, I don't remember the exact quote. I think I jettisoned it from my mind.
2: <laughs> he's, he's, he said some bonkers stuff, but I mean, he, his thing was basically, I mean, he said so much, so many things, um, so many anti-immigrant things, but um, fundamentally he made a, a statement about, you know, what where would we be if it weren't for rape and incest? How how would have um you know all of how would how how would it be that people like him men white men um, would have been able to take over um you know and and so he he's <laughs> that 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 pretty much was the comment that finally did it I think.
1: Um, and the thing about other people's babies, you oh, know, well, know, he, we cause talk, he, would, he yeah. would
2: always talk about, I mean, cause he, he was one of the first people who traveled to Europe and spoke with some of these white nationalist organizations in Europe about like, you guys are doing it right. You guys are having more babies. That's the problem in the U S they're not having enough babies. And it's all these other people's babies, right? All these Brown babies, um, that are, are gonna, uh, muddy up our democracy in the U.S., and I think that's part part of why there's an increased push to become an un you know to to support undemocratic um, modes of govern governance because they're like we're we're outnumbered and so now yeah. democracy like isn't isn't, isn't going to work for white supremacy yeah um, so we're just going to go have to go full undemocratic but one of the things that I that I you know that I wanted to say, because is so hard, right? Like they're, you know, I, I'm always amazed by my colleagues, um, my historian colleagues who have been working, writing about the, writing and thinking about like the extreme right and extreme conservatives, because it's, we, we need to know like what they're thinking and doing so that when these moments happen, we're not like, what happened, you know? Because it is, as Natalie was stating earlier, it is like we have to sit and and meditate on the fact that, you know, an overwhelming number of people in the United States, every time they do a poll, right, sometimes it's 65%, sometimes it's 70%, sometimes it's higher, support some kind of access to abortion, right? So how is it that those numbers have not really changed, you know, in the last 50 years, it's remained the same. How is it that this very small, and might I add, people had considered them very fringe group, how were they able to push through this massive change, right? And I was listening this morning to another podcast um, on uh, the Daily, the New York Times Daily, where they were interviewing one of the sort of main architects uh, of lawyer, anti-abortion pro-life lawyer um who just he sat and meditated for a really long time on um on uh on how the naacp was able to end segregation and so he was like they did it incrementally he's like so i like studied what the naacp did um and then he was like that's what we were going to do with roe so he was he was like a young lawyer and when you know when in 1973 and he it, it, that was their strategy it's like we're going to go slow we're just going to chip and if that doesn't work that's okay we go back right there was never a time where they gave up he was like I didn't I never I just would say okay that that angle didn't work so I'm going to try we're going to try this angle and this angle and he he like not only <laughs> And he's also meddling in some other shenanigans, which is what the stuff that I always find fascinating um, because he was one of the main litigants in the um, Citizens United case that essentially exploded like all this dark money into politics right so these folks are doing all kinds of nefarious things but. um, But but his intention on on abortion was very like i'm going to go we're going to go step by step we're going to we're going to write model legislation. Right so some of these politicians don't even have to think about stuff they're just like look what we already wrote you the policy, you can include exceptions for incest or rape or you don't have to it's up to you, you know like where it's like a pick and choose for these things. And, but ultimately his goal is, and, and the way he kept saying it over and over over and over again that. The United States was built on a Judeo Christian model, which I always find funny when they say it that way, but Judeo Christian model that all life is sacred, all life is sacred, and therefore he is a warrior for the unborn, because all life is sacred and so that's where I was talking about early it's hard, then because then you start asking well if all life is sacred. And if Jesus Jesus forgives all, then why do we have prisons? Why are people allowed to carry assault rifles where you can literally end hundreds of people's lives with a pull of one trigger? Right? Like, why is it that we don't have universal health care? Why is it that we don't have um, universal child care? Why is it that we don't have um, you know, why why don't we why don't we end I'm um, uh, like bl- blocking on like all the things that we can make it so that that vision that all life is sacred is actually realized. And there's no answer from them on that. And they're not pushed to answer. They don't need to answer. Like. They're just, so this is, you know, to Natalie's earlier, earlier, earlier point when when she was talking about how she came to do this work and, right, it's like, we're always on D. Like, why? Why aren't, it's like, okay, so you're gonna, you're gonna make pregnancy compulsory. And these are all the things that I want. Like, I want, I want, you know, I want $1,000 a month, $2,000 a month, $3,000 a month for every pregnancy whether it actually is full term or not i like I, I just i'm like why isn't why aren't we holding these people to task for the violence that they're doing even though they're calling it the you know the support and the protection of precious life it's like you don't hold life precious once it's out of the womb what are we doing they, they're they just allowed to, uh, this is the thing that I'm confused by, like, they're allowed to do these things and make these radical changes. And no one holds them to account um, for the violence that ensues. How, how is it that we still have the level of gun violence that we have in this country where it's literally killing children? literally killing children. It's so like number two killer of children in the country is guns. And somehow that that is that is not at the top of their concern for life. Um I I I just I'm like make it make sense. So I'm like, okay, let's go to the center. Let's make her a center so that we can we can because they have they have in effect, taken control of the narrative of what they have essentially decided what gets to be sacred and what gets to be important. Um, despite the fact the majority of the people in this country disagree with them, right? And so this is where we get to that, like they don't give a shit about democracy. In fact, they, they want to end it because the majority of the people in this country disagree with them on a, myriad of issues. Um, and so, even though they're like, we're gonna send uh, abortion back to the states, that's what the Supreme Court said, and that's where real democracy happens. It's like, no, it doesn't, because most of these states are not actually representative of their populations at all, right? Um, so anyways, again, I'm in the weeds, but you know, these are the kinds of things that you know, we have been playing defense for far too long and we've allowed them to control the national narrative, um, such that even today, listening to the podcast, it's like, well, you know, views on abortion are mixed. I'm like, not, they're not really that mixed, right? Um, if we think about the fact that a majority of Americans believe that people should have some form of access to abortion care, it's not a mix, right? Um, so anyway, I'll let Natalie say something. I'm getting, I'm
1: getting angry. <laughs> Get angry. All good points. I, there was, um, I, I'm going to look it up and send it to you later. There was this, it was a couple of years ago, but there was a legislator, a state legislator down in South Carolina who proposed a bill um, of state responsibilities. If the state is going to force people to carry a pregnancy to term, here are the things that people who have been forced to carry a pregnancy to term are. Um, are entitled to, and they included a wealth of all of the kinds of structural supports that are necessary um, to be able to parent with any degree of dignity, right? And so um, that was a really beautiful move by this fierce South Carolina <laughs> legislator. I'm going to look it up, I'll send it to you. But um, the thing that I was going to say too, and Lena could certainly speak to this, I, she's friends with the historian who wrote this book, but there's this book called Tiny You by Jennifer Holland. And she talks about how it's not just even that the right, yes, that creepy cover um, for all of the listeners, the cover is, how would you describe that color? The cover it's- there,
2: it's, it's these tiny um, fetuses that the um, right to life folks would give children mm-hmm. um, in in elementary school middle school and high school during their like right to life educational you know um the turn yeah. this happens in like the 80s and 90s so that's the cover it's just a it's, it's a bunch of like I can see it's a bunch of
1: tiny Petuses. pieces yeah. so she writes this book about it's not even just that you know the the right looked at how did the civil rights movement make progress forward their agenda and goals over time incrementally but it is in fact she she traces how there's you know the anti the anti-abortion movement the anti-choice movement is actually rooted in a reactionary movement to the successes of civil rights and all of a sudden you know these um, white people who had all these bees in their bonnet about um, desegregation for example and were were angry about you know their school their their school being desegregated right um, they uh, the they turned to um, an imagined white victim, a fetus, and an imagined white savior, right? And they funneled all of their action, all of their energy into this imagined white victim and made themselves white saviors of this imagined white victim. And so it was, it, you know, it talks about the, the intimate entanglement of white supremacist politics and the founding of um, the the right to life movement and this is pre-Roe she's actually talking about so this is in the 60s um, yeah
2: oh I'll, I'll just read this um she says when white act or excuse me she says activists argued abortion threatened not just fetal lives but also christianity womanhood the haven of childhood and the traditional family when white activists tied their own identities to fetal victimhood white conservatives too became victims so again to to natalie's point right there's and this again this is like a huge part of the white nationalist movement is the the idea of of white victimhood of of um, grievance um that it that democracy has gone too far um in allowing all these marginalized groups any access to rights right so when um, the Dobbs decision came down <clears throat> and Alito is like, don't worry, all these other rights that folks have, you're fine. And then Clarence Thomas is like, you're not fine. <laughs> right? Um, uh, you know, gay marriage is on the table, access to birth control is on the table, right? Like all of these things. And so it's 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 that idea, right, that that democracy has gone too far. Um, in allowing all these marginal groups that threaten the traditional family, that threaten this vision of, of Christianity, of, 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 of white Christianity, um, that, that that is a danger, that that is a threat, right? As, as Natalie was saying, an imagined threat, but a threat, imaginary or not, right, um, is a dangerous kind of ideology and idea. To perpetuate, um, especially because a lot of these folks who believe these things, as I was stating earlier, are armed to the teeth. Um, and if and I don't like to do it often because it does give me nightmares, but you know, going through the social media of some of these folks who are perpetuating these ideas, um, they are they are geared up. Um, for, um, for, for violence. Um, And, uh, you know, it kind of takes my breath away, right? I think that we've seen moments of it um, in the 1980s and 90s and early 2000s, right, with the bombing of clinics and the assassination of abortion doctors. Um, This, that, this is, we've created even in in post row right a lot of people are like oh maybe they'll calm down no to them it's like they're just getting started they just got affirmation from the highest court in the land that their vision is 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 the right one right so. um, I think that the level of um, hostility um, is is being ratcheted up, even if it's this imaginary imagined hostility. Um, and so I, I, I do it. It makes me very nervous um, for what, what is to come.
0: I was going to say, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you think instead of playing the defensive for, uh, for us always playing the defensive, what do you how do you think we turn that into um action into an offensive? Um, yeah, I don't that's not the right question. The right way I have to frame that question. Sorry, my brains and my cats being a little <laughs> bugger, but um yeah, what do you think is the best way to start like? going at this um for because it's gonna be a long fight it's gonna be years and maybe even decades um
1: yeah i um that's the million dollar question right i think um
0: i ask a lot of them i'm sorry
1: <laughs> no it's good <laughs> million dollar question podcast i think you know the loss of Roe is profound. It is going to hurt the people who are already hurting the most. And um, so I don't want to downplay that in any way, but it is, you know, um, I was thinking as Lena was talking about, you know, there are a lot of critiques around privacy as the foundation for Um, these constitutionally recognized rights and the ones that are, you know, marriage and birth control, all of those kind of premised on this idea of privacy. Um, For me, um, someone who studies like the surveillance state, it's also true that like in general, as a culture, we have um, in many ways, just the, our sense of privacy and our right to it has been kind of eviscerated over time, living in a Homeland Security state. That's a whole different conversation. But there, so there are lots of ways that you can critique privacy as this premise. Privacy privacy is also not in any way, shape or form, like justice, right? So it's not, um, to put it in like legal terms, like it's not a positive right, it's a negative right. It's like freedom from intrusion on. As opposed to um, the right to a set of, um, you know, resources and access. So, you know, privacy has its problems. Roe had its problems. Its loss is devastating, and now we have um, now we have an opportunity to think differently about how to move forward in a way that can hopefully capture. Um, uh, capture a broader kind of social justice agenda. And um, all of the credit here goes to the um, the Black feminists, the women of color feminists in the United States who have created a framework of reproductive justice starting in the 90s, naming that, um, articulating that as... Um, A much instead of thinking about reproductive choice, but thinking about reproductive justice and understanding um, reproductive health issues is deeply tethered to all of these other social justice issues. And so there's there's I guess what I'm saying is there's a there's a framework um, and and because we have had um, legalized abortion for the last forty nine years, We have networks that are above the ground. We have broad, as Lena was saying, like support in the United States for abortion care and legal safe and legal abortion. So we have some advantages um, that we will have to simply recognize and build on and expand. We need broad coalitions. We need each other. I don't know. I'm sure Lena has way more to add. I'll, I'll stop there.
2: Um, yeah, that is the, <clears throat> the million dollar question. And I think, um, it's our job as, um, as academics to make those ideas, <clears throat> excuse me, clear, um, and, and make connections for folks clear uh, that this is, Um, a fundamental loss of our human rights and one of the things that I see that might be dangerous um, within our own movement um, is a fracturing over how big a tent we create right Um, to be inclusive of other folks who are also being denied access to care Right, um, as I, I wrote somewhere, and I've seen other people mention too, right? When we talk about gender affirming care, um, reproductive care is gender affirming care, right? Um, and so we need to think about um, how we talk about trans folks, non-binary folks, disabled folks in, in this um, larger conversation on reproductive justice, um, historically, uh, and 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 other and communities of color, um, historically, right? Um, communities of color have been fighting for access to have children. And the history of sterilization uh, runs deep in the United States, um, and has been uh, meted out as punishment um, to to Black women, to Latinas, to Indigenous women, right? Um, and so we need to take a moment. I think this this is the thing, right? Like, it's hard because you want to work fast, but you also want to have a moment to think. And I think we haven't had we haven't been offered that. And that's the problem with these anti folks they're like, they don't care. (laughs) They're just they're like, everyone in the tent, and we're all going towards this goal. And they're all full speed ahead. And they're like, we might we might tinker with stuff in the tent but our tent is gonna be as big as, as we can make it. Um, and, and, and sometimes we don't do that. We're like, I'm not getting in the tent with that person. And it's like, oh, <laughs> I have feelings. It's like, I know, but right now we need to make this a big ass tent. Um, and you can have those discussions and those things, but right now we, everybody needs to be, everyone who is under attack, by this like ethno white nationalist State needs to be in the tent right moving towards this goal of, of bodily autonomy, human rights, and justice um, and so i'm I'm a little worried um, because some of the sort of bigger names in, excuse me my dog's about to go nuts in media and stuff in media um They are kind of fueling the flames of that right Um, like who is a woman who is not a woman who is being attacked who's not being attacked, this is. um, You know, and I know folks have lots of strong feelings about this, but I think that fundamentally, if our bodily sovereignty is under attack, you are in our tent right. Um, And, and I say our tent and I mean that tent of people whose bodily sovereignty is under attack right. Um, And so that this is a moment as Natalie was saying that we need to be real clear about that. um, Because in the past, this is why the road decision in many ways was kind of on on um, on unsteady ground because the folks that were really kind of pushing for that were just real single-minded. Um, and, and so they, you know, they didn't have the, the level of solidarity, the, the like large solidarity that we need um, right now. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And the other thing I'll say is that abortion has always existed. It will continue to exist. It is a critical healthcare need um, and so the idea that they are going to legislate abortion out of existence is ahistorical to the history of humanity. It's just not a thing, right? Like you can say it's illegal and you can criminalize it, but our bodies naturally do it. It's called a miscarriage, right? We can call it whatever we want, but medic- it's an abortion, right? It will happen right, it will happen. Um, and so I think, you know, the idea that that abortions are always elected. um, It's also a narrative that is just such bullshit and and so violent um, to people who, whose lives are at risk, right. And in some of these states, they literally want to pass laws that are like, not even in the, you know, they're not making exceptions for the health of the person who's carrying the pregnancy. Um, no exceptions for rape or incest. There are children, right? I'm sure people heard about the child who was moved from Ohio to Indiana because they were raped and were not able to get um, access to an abortion. Um, for very young people, a pregnancy will literally kill them. Uh, this is, you know, the, the, this will always exist. We will always need abortion and people have done it before in the years and the times when it was illegal it still existed um and that's what we're going to continue to do we will build a robust system of folks who know how to offer care um and we will build robust systems of people who want to support those who are offering care and support those who need care um because that's what we've done in the past and that's just what we're going to do and there is no law on this earth that will stop us from caring for each other, none. Um, And I I will see to that because I have children and I would cut somebody who denied my my baby the care that they need to live the fullest life that they want to live, right? So I think that um, whoever hears this podcast know that there are millions of people like myself, we are ready to, to do what needs to be done so that folks are cared for um, with humanity, with dignity, with respect. Um, and there's no law, no man-made law, and I mean man, M-A-N, law that will deny that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
1: That was beautiful, <laughs> Lena. hundred and ten percent. I had other things to say. I'm not going to do it right now. Michael, you're muted.
0: I didn't realize my microphone was off. Um, I was just saying that 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 was awesome. Like I got, ooh, I got tingles about that. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I only had. I wanted to talk a little bit about the article, but it's getting to be on ten o'clock. It's it's up to you guys. Um, I was just gonna say you know you 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 drew the whole thing from um you know making this you know not federally protected trying to make it illegal while also like not putting in place things that would help people when they're pregnant um most specifically you mentioned kim reynolds quite a bit um Mm -hmm which is totally fine with me because I do not like Kim Reynolds at all. Um, <laughs> I try not to curse on this podcast too much, but- Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Sorry. I don't care. You can do it. I <laughs> don't like, um, I wanted to say something, but I figured maybe I should probably not say that. <laughs> um, yeah, she has been slashing everything. Our Iowa uh, legislator has been slashing everything, um, so I think that's that's something to make a note of.
1: Um, yeah, I mean what you just said. That's why this is never this has never been about caring for people's lives. This has never been about protecting life. At every opportunity, this extremist Republican Party. Kim Reynolds and others like her across the country have done everything in their power to deny people access to the things that make life livable. Um, and so, you know, the, the criminalizing of abortion is just one part of that broader pattern of cruelty and punishment and subjugation. Um, it is deeply disrespectful of people's lives and it is, you know, Iowa used to be a state that prided itself, for example, in public education. Wayne and I are both educators in a public university. And since I've been on the faculty, we've just watched our university suffer budget cut after budget cut after budget cut. And what does that do um, besides starve us for the resources that we need to attract you know, good talent, to invest in our students, to invest in um, a world-class educational experience for Iowans, but it also, um, all of the ways in which you can make up a budget shortfall, you can only cut so many things and that's gonna get passed along to students. So this is also about denying people access to education and it's worse at the K through 12 level where you know teachers make poverty wages and they're increasingly expected to apparently I mean if you were to let the GOP have their way, they would be carrying guns into their classroom to solve the epidemic of mass shootings in America. I um, I'm, I i do not have a gun in my home and I, I absolutely refuse to carry one into my classroom. And that is not a problem that we're going to solve in that in that way. Right. So um, I, I'm getting off track here a little bit, but I think what you said is the point. The point is deprivation and cruelty and, a, and criminalizing abortion is one piece of that puzzle.
2: Mm-hmm. And when you and when you do those things, right, when you deprive people of, of access to, to moving to moving ahead in their life, to having um, right to not being in poverty, Um, When you when you force people in poverty, you also disconnect them from the democratic process, right? So when you're just trying to pay your bills, working every day, sometimes two three jobs, um, you're less likely to be involved in the things that um, that that affect your political existence, right? Um, Lots of people say, "Well, I'm not political." It's like, "Well, you don't need to be." Politics is always going to be on you, right? It will always define your access um to different resources and so pushing people further into poverty and then gaslighting them and telling them it's their fault um helps right the sort of the 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 ripping apart the destruction of being in in a democratic um country and and so all of these things sort of work in concert they they work together Right, so that the people at the very top are the ones that have time money and resources to engage in the so called politics, and then they say look, but this is what everybody wants. We have people vote, and everybody voted it's like well if you look at the numbers of people who vote overwhelmingly right it's older folks right. Um, the demographic skew mostly white right because these are the people that can that can right they refuse to make. Uh, um, They refuse to make voting, you know, a national holiday these days that where everyone has a day off and everyone can go and vote. If if anything, right, at the same time that they're passing these laws to continue to impoverish people, they're also passing laws to make it harder for people to engage in the democratic process. Right. So they are they are at this very moment. And that's the the Supreme Court case that's coming up in the fall that people are like really freaking out about um, is is a is a further erosion. Of our, our rights to the vote, so all of these things are happening in concert, and this is not a coincidence, is what you know. Natalie and I are sort of trying to say, um, a lot of this is planned. They have in different spaces. Uh, conservative conservative groups have been working towards um, the very present we're existing in, and it's really hard for folks to have nuanced understanding of of what's occurring um when they are working three four jobs and i say this as somebody who before they moved to iowa had literally like five jobs just so i could live in the bay area with my family right um so i i think the the idea of forcing people into poverty is part of the plan
1: they know that these po- these policies are wildly unpopular, right? And so they have to take away voting rights in order to maintain power. Um, and I was gonna say something else about that, but I don't remember I'll come back to it.
2: Anyway, I, I have to go in like a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, to that's totally fine. Um, and Natalie and I could talk about this all day. It's not because we're, like, it. we're not like, we're into not it, I just have a meeting day. at 10. <laughs> <laughs>
0: sneak into one of your guys' classes and just sit in the back now um no it's great I like like I said I could listen to people talk about this stuff all day so like this is great I haven't done an interview in actually a very long time so this is perfect um a perfect interview to to do so uh thank you so much for oh Michael, thank you time out of your busy schedules amidst everything that's going on um what is the supreme court case coming up in the fall
2: oh i will tell you
0: you I don't have to it. give me the details just the
2: um
0: it's about it's
2: it it basically let me find it supreme
0: case fall. It, i should have just googled it i'm sorry no it's okay while was um,
1: looking actually i remembered what i was going to say which is in what functional democracy do people in positions of power um, draw the districts, right? Like that, the U.S. is an outlier in that sense. Like most functioning democracies have third-party systems that come in to draw legislative maps. Yeah. Right? But here in the United States, we just hand that over. Yeah. Um, to the party in position of power. Um. So there are lots of um, lots of things to think about when we're thinking about how how power gets maintained in the United States. It's
0: almost like we need a new form of government. So it's
2: the it's the Moore v. Harper case, um, and it's out of North Carolina, and it seeks to block state courts from being able to weigh in on disputes over rules for federal elections. (laughs) And this one, um, this one law professor at the University of Michigan cracks me up. They're like, this really is the YOLO court, the you only live once court, Um, because they're just like, we're going to we're just going to burn it down and see what happens. I mean, they're they're liter They you know this one is, um, this one is a big one, and this one is this. They're they're, I think they're re- they're gonna hear oral arguments in the fall. Okay. For this one.
0: Good, I mean not good, but keep it on my. I'll keep it on my radar. Like it's good to know about. Mm-hmm. Make people aware about, um, which I could definitely do. Uh, but yeah, thank you again. I don't want to keep you too much longer. So it's all good. Um, thank you, Micah. Yeah.
1: Thank yeah. you for having us and thank you for your extraordinary local leadership and organizing. And it's just so it's it's a pleasure to be in community with you. So thank absolutely. You. Thank,
0: thank you. you. If for you guys ever need anything, let me know. I'd be happy to help. So
2: oh Same. we as as the, <laughs> my kids always get mad because I use the godfather. I'm like, there will be one day where we might call upon you for a favor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.